So our first reading today is from, uh, chapter, uh, from Genesis chapter 41, verses 8 to 21. And you can find that on page 45 of the Church Bibles. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with, with his servants and imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first, but even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. The second reading continues. In my dream, I saw seven ears of corn, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin ears of corn swallowed up the seven good ears. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears of corn are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless ears of corn scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country, 
to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt, so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials, and so Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you give us wisdom and discernment from your word as we have a look into this passage and tackle this massive question of suffering. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we, in the fourth part of our little series on Joseph, we started in chapter 37, and uh, now we're going to be looking at chapters 40 and 41. And as we, we zoom through these chapters, we're looking at this question of, of suffering, uh, theodicy. Um, how can a good God allow suffering and evil? Or as it's portrayed uh, on our, our service sheets, why do bad things happen to good people? And, and volumes and volumes have been written on the theology of suffering, on theodicy, um, a huge amount. And in fact, there are even sections of the Bible that, uh, that are written for this. So the book of Job is written to answer the question of suffering. And as we have a look into this massive question, just to get our heads in the right place, let me suggest that we start off by thinking in our heads, of one person that we know, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, uh, who's suffering at the moment. You might find there are quite a few who come to mind. I just want one. Get one person into your head who is suffering at the moment. And now, just imagine that this person comes up to you and says, Audrey, uh, Richard, um, says, Paul, says, says to you, Why do bad things happen to good people? Please help me. I'm struggling. Help me to answer this question. What do you say? How do you reply? Don't tell me. Just have a little think about it yourself. Now, with that in your head, what we're going to do is we're going to zoom through these two chapters of 40 and 41. And as we zoom, I'm going to give you three answers to this question. They aren't conclusive answers. Uh, They're building blocks. They're a starting point. Uh, They might not even be the perfect answer for the friend who's in your head. But they're a good place to start as we look at this question of suffering. So in chapter 40 at the beginning, we find that Joseph has been thrown into prison. And it's not for his, his own fault, uh, as, as we found out last week, but he is there, and God has prospered him while he's been in prison. In fact, he's been put in charge of the prison. And in total now, he's been in captivity for a long time. He was 17 when his brothers sold him into slavery. 
He is 28 by this stage. He's been in captivity, either in prison or in slavery, for 11 years by this stage. And during this time, two of Pharaoh's officials get thrown into prison when Pharaoh gets angry. And they're the chief baker and, uh, and the chief cupbearer. And these two officials both have dreams. The cupbearer has this dream that uh, they're, they're three um, uh, branches, and the branches have grapes on them. And he pulls the grapes off the branches, he squeezes them into a cup, and he gives the cup to Pharaoh. The baker has a dream that he has three basketfuls of bread on his head. And in fact, an Egyptian dictionary tells us uh, that, 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 that in Egypt they had 38 different types of cake and 57 different types of bread. And this guy was the chief baker, so he knew his stuff with bread, and this bread is on top of his head. And the birds are eating the bread out of the basket. And, and dreams in this day uh, were the domain of the experts, the professionals, those who had been trained up in discernment. But there weren't any of those in the prison. And also, they, they were quite ominous sometimes. Uh, they, they aren't the equivalent of, we might say, living the dream, you know, everything's going well. Rather, things might not go all that well, but the domain of God. Something's been given over uh, to these people in their dreams, but they don't know quite what they point towards. So they're worried. And Joseph comes in to attend to them, and they've got frowns in their faces. And they say no one can interpret their dreams. In verse 8 of chapter 40, Joseph tells them, do not interpretations belong to God. And he's talking about his own God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's talking about his Yahweh. So these guys think, well, they've got nothing to lose. They might as well just share their dreams. And, and first of all goes the, uh, the, 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 the cupbearer, and uh, he gives him a favorable interpretation that Pharaoh is going to lift him out of prison in three days. Those are the three branches, and restore him back to his position, uh, which is something of a confidant. And the baker thinks, well, if he got a favorable interpretation, I might as well give it a go as well. So the baker shares his dream with Joseph. And Joseph says, there's three baskets of three days as well. But uh, there's no easy way to say this. Uh, Pharaoh is going to impale you. And just imagine the tension in those three days. What's going to happen to these guys? And as three days come to an end, it's Pharaoh's birthday. And it happens just the way God told Joseph it would. The cupbearer is restored, and the baker loses his life. Now, Joseph had told the cupbearer, this confidant of Pharaoh's, that when he is restored to his position, can you please remember Joseph in prison? This man who's there for no fault of his own this man who's been literally stolen from his land and put into the pit. The dungeon is the pit. And can you just imagine, Joseph, as these two disappear, walk out of prison to their fates, and Joseph is thinking, this is my release. I'm going to be able to go free. And days turn into weeks. 
Weeks turn into months, and months even turn into years. And Joseph is left in the pit. And this brings me to the first answer that I want to get to of this question of why do bad things happen to good people? And the answer has both the general and specific uh, sides to it. For Joseph, if you were to draw alongside him at this point and give him an answer to his question of why do good, bad things happen to good people, I think you would have to say to him, I don't know yet. You might well get an answer to your question, but at this specific point in time, I can't tell you why you're still suffering in this place for 13 years. And that is sometimes the answer that you'll have to give to your friends. Uh, I was wondering for a while whether to share this with you. I, I think it's, it's worth sharing because we're told as brothers and sisters in Christ to, uh, to bear each other's burdens, but I don't give this to you as a burden. Uh, in the last couple of months, my wife and I have had two miscarriages, um, and, and some of it's been pretty emotional. It's been pretty rough. Now, I have got absolutely no idea why we've had to go through those miscarriages. And if you gave me an answer right now, a specific answer, I would probably say, um, I, I, I don't think that's spot on. I don't think that's right. Uh, because I just don't think there's a specific answer to that question at the moment. There's a general part of the answer, though, which we can definitely get, and we can get it from the Joseph story. Remember two weeks ago where we were talking about uh, the, the jealousy that runs through Joseph's family, the deceit that runs through Joseph's family, the sin uh, that comes from it. And, and, and we traced, in fact, all the way back. Remember, we traced all the way back to Genesis 3. And we found all this mess that was there was a result of the original sin. God had created human beings perfectly, and he had created them in his image. But human beings wanted, Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. And ever since then, sin entering the world, things have gone slightly messed up. And so there's a general answer uh, to, to the problem of evil. General answer uh, to the problem of suffering. But the specific answer, quite often, we have to say, I just don't know. So the story carries on. Uh, and uh, uh, two years after the cupbearer and, uh, and, and, and the baker are released, we find um, Pharaoh has two dreams, in fact. They, three sets of two dreams. Remember Joseph's two dreams at the beginning of chapter 37? Uh, then we had uh, the cupbearer's dream and the um, the, uh, and, and the baker's dream. And now Pharaoh has two dreams. And his first dream, he's standing uh, next to the River Nile. And the River Nile is the symbol of power and wealth for Egypt. And seven cows come out of the Nile. And the cows are, uh, they symbolize Egypt, in fact. Uh, they're the primordial ocean. And they're big and fat, these cows. But then there's some gaunt ones that come up and they gobble the fat ones. 
Pharaoh's distraught, but he goes back to sleep eventually, and he wakes up again, and uh, he has, uh, so he goes back to sleep, and, and he has a, a second dream, and, and this dream is of ears of corn, seven healthy, full ears of corn that get gobbled up um, by, by, uh, by some ones that, that just don't look very nice at all. They look like they've been um, blown off um, by, the, by the east wind, is it? And so now he's really worried. What is he going to do? And he goes to all these experts. Remember, dreams are the domain of experts. He goes to the experts and he says, what do these dreams mean? And the experts don't have any answers. And then the cupbearer comes to him and says, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. This is verse 9 of chapter 41. He tells him uh, about the time when he was in prison with the baker and how this Hebrew slave, Joseph, interpreted his dreams. So in verse 14, Joseph sent, sorry, Pharaoh sends for Joseph, and there are these rush of finite verbs where he's quickly brought from the pits, from the dungeon. He's shaved, he's changed, and he comes before Pharaoh. Verse 15, Pharaoh says to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I heard it said that you, that you can hear a dream and interpret it. Now, just imagine the 17-year-old Joseph was asked this question by the most powerful man in the world. I hear you can interpret dreams. The 17-year-old Joseph would have looked a bit smug, sort of puffed up his chest and said, yes, you've got the man. I can do this. I'm the man. But you see in your Bibles, Joseph doesn't do that. He's come a long way, our Joseph. Instead, he replies in a way that corrects the most powerful man in the world, in a way that's slightly confrontational, in fact. And he says, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Joseph points away from himself. And he points to the God who he knows, who's been close to him for those 13 years of living in captivity. And we haven't seen um, God appearing uh, in in this chapter so far, chapter 41, uh, when Pharaoh is talking about his dreams. But as Joseph hits the scene, he just talks about his God over and over and over again. So that's verse 16. I cannot do it, but God will give. Uh, Pharaoh, the, the answer. Uh, verse 25, he says that the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Uh, verse 28, it is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 32, uh, the dreams are given in two forms, and that's the, the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God We'll do it soon. Joseph is saying to the most powerful man in the world that there is someone who is much more powerful than him. There is someone who is sovereign over all. And that isn't one of the gods that Pharaoh worships. That's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is Yahweh. And he is the one who has decided this. And this brings me to the second answer that we might give 
to this question of why do bad things happen to good people. And I think it's really well summed up, in fact, by Paul in Romans 8, verse 28, where Paul says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And this answer challenges part of the question. It challenges the part that says bad things happen. And it says, how are we looking at those bad things? Are they actually bad? They might feel bad to us now, but are they really bad when God can bring out good from those bad things? This God who is sovereign over all, this God who is in control, and this God who loves us. And as Christians, you might know that we aren't ever promised comfort. In fact, we are promised suffering, And we are promised trials, but we are promised that in all things, God will be with us. Just like Joseph, in his suffering, found his God with him. And one of the great privileges, in fact, of uh, helping Charles lead this church is I get to see into a lot of your lives, this body of Christ. I get to see quite a bit of your suffering when uh, things don't go as you expect. But I also get the joy of seeing the good that comes out through those things. How you grow in your faith, others grow in faith, and things we just don't expect to happen, happen, because we have a good God who we've submitted our lives to. It's an absolute joy. So the second answer challenges uh, this, uh, this, this, this statement that bad things happen with Paul's uh, comment that God works for good um, for those who love him. Um, but the story doesn't end here. It gets, it gets even more crazy uh, because what happens after this is... Uh, so, so Joseph has given Pharaoh the interpretation to his dream... And that's what Joseph was called to do. He's a slave. He's been in prison. What he should do now is say, thank you so much, Pharaoh, um, for giving me any of your time. Uh, Or not say anything. I mean, just walk away backwards. He's standing in front of power itself. But Joseph doesn't do that. Instead, Joseph tells Pharaoh how to run his country. It's absolutely ridiculous. And even more crazy than that is Pharaoh says, actually, you know, you're the man who we need to run this country and get us out of a sticky situation. So he appoints him as his right-hand man, second most powerful in the country, only behind Pharaoh himself. And this is incredible. A couple of weeks ago, we said that... um, uh, we said, we said that, that Joseph is a Messiah type. In a way, he prefigures Christ. He points towards Christ. And there are characters in the Bible who do this. There are circumstances and practices 
in the Bible and the Old Testament that point towards Christ, like um, the sacrificial system as well. They're people, too. Joseph is one of those people. And in fact, God uses him to save his people and save many nations as he's going to use Christ to. But as we're thinking about Joseph as a Messiah type, we might start thinking about this question of of, uh, bad things happening to good people. And when we do that, we we might think of a, a man, in fact, a rich young ruler, who comes up to Jesus in Mark uh, 10 and says to Jesus, falling on his knees, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And who remembers Jesus' answer? What does Jesus say? Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except for, except for God. So why do bad things happen to good people? Here's the third answer, is that there's only ever been one good person, and he was Jesus. And in fact, some awful, awful things happen to him. And they happen to him because of us. Joseph went through a huge amount of suffering, but Jesus went through more. And he went through it on our behalf. Joseph went through a little bit of physical suffering. He was thrown into a pit. Jesus was put on a cross and died of suffocation after being flogged and tortured. Joseph went through some emotional suffering. He was rejected by his brothers. Jesus was rejected by those who he created who he loved to a degree that Joseph would never understand. When Joseph was in the dungeon and when Joseph was in slavery, he knew God alongside him. When Jesus was on the cross, all that messiness that we discussed in chapter 37 was from us, was put on him. And for a moment, he knew the Father turning away from the Son. If you like, the Trinity temporarily separated so that we might have a relationship restored with the Father. Our third answer points us to Jesus. And it is because of Jesus' death that we can cast our burdens onto him. It is because of Jesus' death that he knows, that we know that he cares for us, that we know the depth of his love. It is because of Jesus' death that when we are suffering, we can know, like Joseph, our God alongside of us. But the amazing thing is that it doesn't end there. If Joseph is a Jesus type, and that section of chapter 37 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago uh, was Good Friday, then this section, uh, chapter 41, is the resurrection and maybe even the ascension. Because Joseph is pulled up out of the pit. He comes from, from death back to life. And he's put in charge of everything. He's restored, and he is sat at the right hand of the most powerful one on the earth. Jesus sits at the, most, at the 
right hand of the most powerful one of all, the sovereign God, the Father. And it's because of the resurrection that we can have hope. We can see the evidence um, of our hope. And we can know that he has done it for us. So here are the three answers. Answer number one, specifically, we don't always know, generally, because of the fall. Answer number two, God works for good of those who love him. Answer number three is that there's only one who is good, and he died on our behalf, that we might have a relationship restored with our God, who is with us through all of our suffering. Now, it might be that one of these three helps your friend. It might be that none of these three is the right answer, and that you might need to ask God, as, and as you search the scriptures, decide uh, what you need to tell your friend. But this is a good starting point, I think. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much.